Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Let me say Shana Tova to those of you who are Jews. It's, it's the new year today. Happy 5783. Yep, this is our year, Jews. Let's make sure we understand and all know as one that they still hate us and that uh, it's subtle. It happens on a lot of levels. Sometimes it's outward. You know who those people are, but sometimes it might be your pal or it might be somebody you agree with politically. It might be just somebody that you assume is a, an okay person for the most part. But you know what? There's a little bit of Jew hate in almost everybody. So just uh, stay vigilant, but stay out. Stay out. Don't hide. Don't hide. Jews be Jews, all right? Shana Tova to you. Uh, Yom Kippur is around the corner, and uh, maybe we'll get a clean slate. I don't know. I don't know, but uh, I just wanted to put it out there, Jews. So look, today I have Sigourney Weaver on the show, and she's like actually all over the place right now. She's in the film The Good House with Kevin Kline that opens this week. She's also in the upcoming movie uh, called Jane with Elizabeth Banks about the movement of women providing abortion services for women when abortions were illegal. Uh, She's in Paul Schrader's new movie, Master Gardener, which is another exploration of bizarre and uh, troubling moral conflict and masculinity. And that just premiered at the Venice Film Festival. Also a great movie. It's sort of of a recent trilogy, I think, of Schrader's movies. Schrader, who I talked to Sam Rockwell about. I would call them a trilogy. I'm looking at his filmography. But it seems that these three first reformed the card counter and master gardener of are of an ilk. But they're always, a lot of them are about men. Difficult. Morally uh, dubious men. I'll be in Toronto this week, Friday and Saturday. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour, get tickets for that. Not many tickets left. I want to say thank you to the people of Boulder, Colorado, and to the people of Fort Collins, Colorado. Both those shows sold out. I had no idea. Uh, I did the shows with Little Esther. We had a great time. Good shows. Been doing a lot of reading. I've been doing a lot of watching. I've been doing a lot of thinking. All right? All those things happening. Uh, I just read uh, David Bedil's book, Jews Don't Count, and it was provocative. 
It seems that I'm going to be doing a live WTF with uh, Mr. Badil in uh, London. Uh, it's at the Bloomsbury Theater on Wednesday, October 19th. I haven't done one of these in years. It's a live WTF, so come out, even if you're coming to my stand-up shows later in the week. And you can get the tickets to that at uh, WTFpod.com slash tour. The info is there. But the book was interesting. It was a, it was an argument about... Uh, the basically the anti-Semitism, either latent or dismissive anti-Semitism of the left primarily. And he really dealt with a lot of stuff in there and, and I'm still processing it. So I read that and I've been watching Ken Burns's documentary about America's reaction to the Holocaust. And, and a lot of times you know, when people get political or celebrities get political or anybody gets political, people think it's some sort of posturing. But the truth is, is that you learn to understand and engage when you learn to understand and engage. Who the fuck knows when that's going to happen? It's not an organic thing. You have to be concerned. You have to want to be part of a change or elevation of ideas. And then, you know, applying that idea of what, what do I wake up in service of? I, I'm a fairly selfish guy, but I'm angry. I'm concerned and I'm, in, I'm engaged. What do I want to lock into and, and, and try to make a difference with or, or try to focus on? Al Franken once, once talked to me about it. It's like you have to pick your issue. Like right now, you know, in Iran, it's a disaster. It's a fucking nightmare. It's a theocratic, religious, fascist nightmare. Masa Amini, this woman who was detained by morality police, they call him that and killed, has now like unleashed massive protests around the world and in Iran. Rightfully so. It's, that's what needs to happen. That's what happens. And who knows how it's going to play out. That is a res that's a reaction to a very specific religious fascism. That's what it looks like in an extreme sense. Russia, now we're sitting around waiting for Russia to decide whether or not Putin's ego will uh, absorb failure and not unleash nuclear arms. So now he's mobilized all these reservists who didn't even know they were had to fight again. Hundreds of thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of people are bailing. They're jumping ship in protest, in fear, against authoritarianism. And in watching this documentary that Ken Burns made to see... How it just starts in any country. Donald Trump is doing rallies and QAnon fanatics are doing some sort of thing with their hands. Anytime things with hands happen, you know what it reflects. Whether or not, you know, Trump's actions at this point are desperate or he's a man in trouble, who the fuck knows? But he is a guy consolidating what is essentially an American fascist base. You know, I think a lot of regular or, or, or slightly craven or not completely out of their fucking mind Republicans are, are starting to be like, I don't know, but he's definitely appealing and focusing on a specifically fascist base, a, a, a brain fucked bunch of misinformed, aggrieved people who, who he's hoping are willing to do whatever the fuck he needs them to do to do whatever the fuck he wants. Now, there's protest here. There's there's engagement. But this is all happening, you know, and what am I in service of? I mean, all of us should support any sort of pushback or protest 
against fascism, which is either functioning in countries or almost functioning or taking hold when you see what's happening in these Republican governed states on school board levels in which books they're saying can and can't be read, how they're handling LGBTQ rights, how they're handling abortion rights. This shit creeps in. All of a sudden, you know, you you live in a state long enough and you realize a generation of kids wasn't allowed to know the history of America in its truth or was denied or forbidden to engage in educating themselves about different types of people, different preferences. Two generations past that, history gets erased. What's happening now is a pushback against decades of liberal democracy, an attempt to uh, create equality and balance that was very threatening to people like Samuel Alito coming up as he did. This has been going on for decades. Christian fascism, autocracy, authoritarianism, they're all related. So women in my life, Powerful women in my life have books out this week, I believe. I know that Betty Gilpin's book, All the Women in My Brain and Other Concerns, is out, and Betty's a genius. Not only is she an amazing actress, but uh, she's very smart, very funny, poetic, cutting, uh, and satirically sound, and, uh, and, and, and raw and truthful, all of it. And these are sort of a collection of essays. It's very exciting. You can get the audiobook as well. All the Women in My Brain is available. And Betty Gilpin is one of the best people. <laughs> I'm excited about it. And she didn't even ask me to promote it. And the other woman who I see regularly, who I've... Uh, 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 always spoken highly of, who I watch a lot, who I've argued with at times. There's only a couple of comics I've got into it with and remain friends with, and uh, that's Bill Burr and Eliza Schlesinger. We've had uh, words over ideas, and we've come out the other side of those times uh, with a certain mutual respect. Eliza has worked her fucking ass off for a long time, years I remember she featured for me in La Jolla once. And now she's a, you know, she's a powerhouse. She does a lot of specials. I think she's got a new special coming out on Netflix. But she has a book. All things aside, absolutely correct opinions, Eliza Schlesinger. And she wrote a nice thing to me. That's all it takes, I guess. <laughs> Eliza is a force to be reckoned with, as is Betty Gilpin. Both have books out. And uh, I recommend them. All right? No paid promos there. Just peers doing things. You know, I had 23 years sober in August. And, you know, I don't, I'm not as regular a meeting goer as I used to. I don't have a home group. Uh, no one usually, the last two years, I've gotten a coin. And it's not like I carry the coins around with me. But you want a coin and you want a heavy one. Especially when the years get up there. You want a nice heavy coin. Coins are what we get when we get a year, a two years, three years, years. A nice brass or metal. You want a metal coin 
with your with the number of years on there. And a few years ago, I remember buying my own because I wanted to have one. But the last couple of years, I've just gotten in in my in my uh, PO box a letter with a coin from a woman named Terry. I don't know Terry. I don't know her. It just says, hey, Mark Marin, congratulations on 23 years of continuous sobriety. Please accept this coin from me to you with gratitude for everything you do through your work to help the still suffering alcoholic. You educate and inspire by allowing us to watch you walking the walk. So sending love and light to you in service. Always, Terry, AA Central Office, Little Rock, Arkansas. Thank you for the coin. Again, Terry. Um, and that's the way it works. But I don't know her, and I didn't even know anybody liked me in Arkansas. <laughs> also in Denver, I saw my old junior high buddy, Eric Tippman, from way back, and he brought me a kind of great birthday present. Eric Tippman was the guy, he was uh, seventh grade, maybe I was in eighth grade, we used to ride the bus together and I used to bring a cassette on. He did. He had a cassette that he made and had the Stones. I think it was the first time I heard Sweet Virginia. First time I heard Midnight Rambler was from his dad's records through his cassette on my cassette player. I think that's the way it worked. And we used to listen to that stuff. But I didn't remember. You know, like we go way back, but we don't see each other hardly at all. But he came to the show with his wife. I think it's his wife. I don't know if they're married. But he brought me a birthday present, and that was David Bowie's Changes One. But get this. It was mine. It was He's returning my record. It's got my little name on it up in the right-hand corner, Marin. My copy of Changes One from junior high school is now back with me. What a great present. What a great present. With my little writing. That's my changes one. And that was the record that introduced me to David Bowie. I remember how I found out about that. It was a camp. Okay, let's get on with it. Sigourney Weaver is here uh, on this episode talking to me. You're going to hear it momentarily. The Good House, her movie with Kevin Klein, opens this Friday, September 30th. Here we are, me and Sigourney Weaver. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcast. So do you go down to Hawaii a lot? Uh, we do. He, yeah. he, he has uh, some family there, and uh, if you've only gone through Hawaii, like on your way to somewhere else yeah. or whatever, being with a native who can show you... Yeah. 
everything, the the right, you know, food trucks right, and the right yeah. waterfalls and just the, the spirit of growing up in such a special place with such a remarkable history, yeah. culture, the music, how does the it, dance. How did his family get there? Interesting story. His um his grandfather yeah. uh was Scottish and he was in the Black Watch during World War One. Huh. What is and that? So that's a, a Scottish brigade of soldiers. Okay, all right. And um, so he was with his platoon. Yeah. And they were being shelled. And so he he was the only one that had a sweep hand on his watch. So he timed his guys out to safety. Yeah. Like 12 of them. Yeah. And then for himself, he was the last one. He yeah. forgot to look at his watch. So he was in an explosion, and they had to put a steel plate in his head, huh. and they said, you really can't come home and live here because the the extremes of temperature will be so uncomfortable for you. You have to go to a warm climate. So he hitched a ride on some steamer going yeah. out to Asia. He had an uncle in the Philippines. I think he might have known someone in Hawaii. Yeah. And he taught himself. Uh, he taught himself accounting, a whole way of dealing with numbers, on his way out. Huh. And when he got to Honolulu, he thought, "Well, this looks pretty good to me." Yeah. And next thing you know, he sent for this girl he knew a tiny bit from the next town over, right? From Forfar, Scotland. Yeah. Who arrived, and he had to marry her as soon as she got off the boat, <laughs> yeah. and. Um, and I think she was terrified. I think yeah. she, you know, honestly thought she was from going to be eaten or yeah, something. You know, Hawaii. that she was in some yeah. dangerous world. And so, um, anyway, th- so they had two children, and uh, Jim's dad was one of them. So wild, yeah. And then Jim's dad actually was seventeen when they bombed Pearl Harbor. He stood on the roof of their house in Kaimaki you know, watching the planes come, and he signed up. And they took all these boys from uh, from Hawaii yeah. and uh, maybe from, you know, California too, anyone yeah. who'd grown up with anyone Asian, they sent to the European war theater. As revenge? No, oh. because they thought that maybe they wouldn't be able to, to, to fight um, people who they grew up with. Oh, I see. So yeah, they yeah, yeah. sent these guys who'd grown up in Hawaii to, you know, the winters of right. Europe, yeah. which they knew nothing about. They knew nothing about the terrain. Um, so his dad was like on the front, like in uh, yeah. And wow, he was in the he was in the um, in the navy, but he was he was in that theater. He was. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's a it's it's amazing how people like where they land and how they kind of evolve and where their families are from. I, I mean, because I mean, to be a native Hawaiian is a very unique thing if you're not a, a native person. Yeah, I mean, and you know, they call uh, someone born in the islands a Keikioka Aina, a child of the islands, and um, so for for people, white people who've grown up in the islands who make that their home. Yeah. I'm not sure they feel Hawaiian, but they definitely feel like their home is Hawaii. Well, like, yeah, I would think, I, I mean, at some point, I think you'd have to feel Hawaiian. I grew up in New Mexico, and mm-hmm. I, I feel relatively New Mexican, but but I, I wouldn't say I'm you yeah. know, native it's, to it. It's probably 
it's probably more political than that in, sure. in Hawaii. I've never uh, actually asked him. That's probably right. Yeah. You know, because pretty... there's still a sovereignty movement there. Yes. And, um, there's still, you know, there's a lot they're still working out. Yeah, it's it's. I go down there. I go to Kauai a lot. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I don't know. I just started going there years ago, and that's, I vacation there a yeah. lot, and I love it. Do you ever go to the Allerton Gardens in Kauai? Yeah, I think I have been once because they have a wonderful dinner tour. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They take you through these amazing garden rooms. Oh, I don't. That I never this did man, that. Mr. Allerton, he traveled with. A young man that he said was his son. Uh-huh. They traveled all over the world. This right. is in the twenties. I think at a certain point they decided enough already, and they went back to Hawaii, found this land, and then they brought people in. So they would have these enormous parties, huh. costume parties, and things like that. And so the whole place is like these beautiful garden rooms. And huh. then at the end of the tour, yeah, you you see where Jurassic Park shot here and there. Right. And then yeah. at the end of the tour, there's you you sit and have dinner on the shore where their little house is. This is in Kauai? This is in Kauai. It's like the greatest know. deal, you know? It's I don't like, know why I've never done that. Well, Sounds next amazing. time. Next time, because I think it's still going on. It's really, you know, they keep the, the tours. It's just enough for one yeah. uh, van. So oh, it's wow. only eight of us. So you're like a garden person. I am a garden person. So doing that Schrader movie was sort of like, uh, although the character is heavy, but the gardens seem familiar. Which, which? The new movie, The the Master Gardener. Oh, The Master Gardener. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I've actually done uh, a big mini series uh, in Australia where I play a woman who uh, has a flower farm. Oh, really? Everything is coming up flowers. It's very interesting. I came to gardening late because my mother is English. And, and so gardening was something she really did for herself. Yeah. She used to whisper to her roses and things like that. Oh, really? And I know that my nieces and I, we used to go, oh, I wish Granny would talk to us instead of the flowers. <laughs> flowers. But I, I, so I always was around gardens and I always found them so mysterious. And now that I, I work with the New York Botanical Garden, I'm on the board. Uh, you live is, in the city? I live in the city. Yeah. And the garden is such an extraordinary resource. Yeah. For New York, you know, I never went there. I grew up in New York, but now it's just filled with splendid things. It's yeah. never looked more beautiful. And you take your family up there. It's free on Saturday, and it's free Wednesday morning. And you have 250 acres of wow. You know, I think it's like um, 40 acres of uh, old growth forest. For huh. instance, you can wander around, as well as the most beautiful, you know. State of the art, you know, all the trees and and all the flowers, the conservatory, and then of course at Christmas they have the um, the holiday train show, which is in the um, conservatory. Have you done that? No. Oh my God, you've got to go. There's a lot of things I have to do apparently. Yeah, no, I mean the holiday train show. It's all built of natural, like acorns, and you know, it's a whole replica of. Of all the famous things in New York, oh, that's you know, cool. Like and done in in uh, uh, in twigs and aviary, and would you call it? It's in a it's in the um, the uh, 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 Edith Haupt Conservatory, okay, okay. which is this big, huge, beautiful glass yeah. building that yeah. was built I don't know how many years ago. Wild. 
I, I, I'll have to go to that, too. I go to the Huntington Gardens. Have you been there? Yes, I That's certainly something. have. Yeah, I'd like to go there now. Yeah, it's before it all dries up. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. sad. So, like, I watched all the new movies Did that you're you? in. Yeah, and I, I saved that Trader movie for last. Uh-huh. Because I hear he's ill, and it, it, it might might be his last movie, maybe, sadly. You know, I think that now that the movie came out in, in, um, in Venice and yeah. he... He received, you know, certainly deserved the golden line. Yeah. I felt that the next day after all of that press, he, yeah. he had just bounced back. Oh, he could. Okay. So I think it's a mistake okay, to think good. that uh, Schrader's down and out. Well, I'm, I'm, very, I'm a big fan. And the, yeah. last, the last few movies have been very interesting. The Priest very. movie and the, the Card Counter. And this one, this one's very surprising. Now, like when you, out of these three movies that you did, like the new ones, like call it, not Avatar, but call Jane... And the good house, but like, I have to assume that working with Paul would have been the like an exciting opportunity. Well, I'll tell you, it, I worked on um, Good House with Kevin Klein. We did that in Nova Scotia in two thousand nine. Had you worked with him since Dave? I guess I hadn't, except that you know we're both actors in New York, and so oh, we, okay. you know, you we do stuff. Other. Yeah, um, we'd given an award to Ang Lee after Ice Storm and all that stuff. So we we he got some. Tribute. Oh, that's went. right. So you were where that you were in Dave, but you were also in, I, you were his wife yeah. in Ice Storm. No, I you was were the not. other one. You were the I was right. the yeah. But so this is our first. I would say um, happy, happy er, uh, a love romantic. affair. Yeah. It's more romantic. It is yeah. the story of a of a very wry, funny older woman who's yeah. kind of being pushed out. Of her of her position in the in the town, yeah, and yeah. her husband's dumped her for yeah. a guy, and all this stuff. But anyway, it's a great um, it's a great story about this this woman. You know, she addresses the camera. She addresses us. She yeah. confides in us. Sure. And um, she's very funny. It was written by Maya Forbes and Wally Balodarsky. She's a realtor, and uh, she's uh, she's very realistic about life. Yeah, it's a it's a familiar job, I think, too, for women of a certain age. The realtor thing. Yeah. Well, I think she's done it Forever. all her life. Right. And um, and you know her her kids sent her into rehab because she does like to party. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, so at the end of these days, you see her come home after not having a drink, you know, being a total teetotaler. And yeah. she sort of, you know, unhooks her bra, lies on the couch and opens a bottle of Pinot Noir and, yeah. and relaxes. Serious drinker, though. She become, you know, I didn't think of her as a serious drinker. I thought of her as a merry drinker. Yeah. And I sort of really wanted to show that the, the joy and solace of drinking mm -hmm. um, in within certain boundaries and that uh, and yeah it does finally get away from her yeah I thought you, yeah you must have done a little uh, homework on that one to I think I I think everyone has that in their family so I didn't need <laughs> yeah. to do any homework it's in my cells uh -huh. um, but it was really a lovely uh, a lovely job to do to to be able to explore that that yeah. has been a problem in my family from from a, a much more intimate point of view oh really you had the heavy drinking yeah and and i would say that you know adult children of alcoholics yep. when you see a bottle 
you know, it always seems to have a skull and crossbones on it for sure. you. Yeah. And so you'll ha- you can have a drink, but you're so aware. It's like the way people look at the ocean. Yeah. Oh yeah. You look at it and you know that it has a power that you might not be able to control. So it was really interesting to sort of um to investigate that. Well, that, it's interesting because, like, when you are an uh, adult child of an alcoholic, it can go either way. I mean, you either become an alcoholic or you become the hypervigilant kind of like, you know, you know, try to keep yeah. things in control and to manage. I think you have to be lucky mm. also, maybe genetically, that mm. you don't get the thing that is makes it more likely for you to have... To, to have a drinking problem. Yeah, the and bug, I, I call it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I feel blessed that I, I was able to support my dad, who's the most wonderful man. He loved radio, and yeah. so do I. Um, and, um, and, and show, you know, show what's so wonderful about those few drinks and sure. um, how convivial it makes people. Sure. Certainly after COVID, I think we all became <laughs> yeah. more acquainted yeah. with the, the bottle. <laughs> sure. And uh, and then continue to tell the story to where, you know, um, Hildy has to... <sighs> Hildy has to She hit bottom. Decisions. I mean, she hit a real kind of like hallucinatory... I like the whole sort of witchy element and the hallucination. Oh, good. Yeah, and also like, you know, I, you know I'm a recovering guy and, and to sort of do that well, is it's important to sort of get that right and I think it did a pretty good, good job at that. That's great. I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah. And also, I thought the Call Jane movie, it was... Uh, uh, another. I just watched a documentary about those women yeah. on HBO. So, I did you watch? You watched it. Yes, right? I did. And I thought that was a beautifully written movie. Uh, uh, I, what's yeah. her name? Phyllis Nate? Is it Phyllis Nage? Nage. Uh She wrote Carol. Yeah, and, what a um, great movie that was. Yeah, and so um, she directed this and um, found a, the most amazing cast of women. I thought it was great. Elizabeth Banks. Well, I think that it's coming out at a good time oh, in October, for sure. and um, you know, to tell the story of these women who who came together to help other women find safe abortions before Roe versus Wade was passed, and they took care of each other, and they performed abortions. They did. They it was, did. It, I thought Elizabeth Banks was kind of. Uh, it was. I think it's the best I've seen her. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderful role for her. It's, she's, it, she's amazing. You liked working with her? Oh, I loved working with her. I mean, yeah. but she's amazing anyway. Yeah, yeah. I always think that she completely, you know, elevates anything she's in. I liked your character too. I thought everybody was great. Yeah, yeah. I loved my character. My character is an old, you know, wry activist who's yeah. been around for right. a long time and. Um, and so I really related to, to Virginia. Well, you were sort of coming uh, of age at that time. Do you remember that time? Of course. I, I mean, the late 60s? Yeah, I was, I, was, I was in high school, and then I went off to college. and um, Where? Uh, I went, ended up at Stanford, uh-huh. um, where I did a lot of sort of theater outside the school. But, well, that was um, so, they had some a radical scene there, didn't they, in the late oh, 60s? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, we never had a spring term when I was there because... Yeah. Uh, we had the Stanford Research Institute uh, oh, develop napalm, had a hand in it. And so we were trying to get things like SRI off uh, campus right. because we didn't feel they belonged in an institution yeah. like ours. And so it was a constant upheaval. Yeah. Um, I don't think Stanford likes to look back. but And also the war, you know, constant war protests. Yeah. Um, it was an amazing time to go to school there. I would say that 
a number of my professors were communists and yeah. um and you know it was a very you know a very earnest soul searching time yeah you know what kind of country are we yeah, and it's um, happening again yeah absolutely <laughs> and so but i think that no one could have anticipated that that a decree would come down from the supreme court on high uh you know ripping away these fundamental rights from women i still cannot believe what they did well, it, I think it seemed like it was always on the table, which was a big fear. And it was really a part of the motivation that I think uh, the left and, and, and Democrats were trying to make people aware of with the Supreme Court when, you know, when Trump in 2016. Yeah. That, you know, despite whatever you may think, this is the important thing. Absolutely. I think that I think I expected there to be a national dialogue. Yeah. Uh, that's healthy. Sure. Uh, everyone's entitled to their point of view. Yeah. But, um, you know, the the you know pro-abortion pro-choice people aren't you know they're not saying that people who don't believe in abortion should have abortions and yet they're saying that people who believe in choice yeah. and um uh are should be made to carry these children to term and i i it's it's crazy it is so and it's it's cruel it's right back where that movie sort of takes yes. off where are called jane and i think that that you and the cast and the writing really created the the sort of horrendous desperation and and sort of you know what could be very unsafe situations yeah. and it, it, just what it would look like yeah and and also the demand for it i mean i don't think people really contextualize that this isn't no one it's not a willy-nilly kind of decision anyone makes no 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 it's the hardest decision in the world nobody yeah. wants to have an abortion sure you make a uh, decision like that for all kinds of very personal reasons that no one in their right mind would want the government to be interfering with or to stop it yeah yeah I, do you remember when it was uh, when 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 Roe was instituted I do yeah. I do it was 73 um and um you know it was a, a so much was happening for yeah. women back then yeah and it made perfect sense that this would you know this would enable women to have you know, to be able to make the choices they needed to sure. make, to have families when they chose to, yeah. and also work. And we've, you know, when you look at all the progress women have made in the last 50 years, it's so amazing. And no matter what the Supreme Court does, they can't take away those 50 years that we've had where now we're running businesses yeah. and we're, you know, uh, doing all these things. So we have to remember how far we've come and... This is just um, a horrendous setback. It's a horrendous setback, <laughs> and I, I'm, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna change it. Fight. Yeah. So where do? But you grew up in New York. I grew up in New York. Right, and because I, I know that you mentioned your father liking radio, but I didn't realize like he was, he was like a major. Uh, sh he shifted the entire medium from radio to television. Right. I mean, that was his thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he started off in San Francisco in radio. He did all the ads, and he also produced the shows and was everything. He, so he was a broadcaster? Yeah. Uh, you know, he was, like, right out of college. Right, and, okay. And um, then he ended up coming to New York. He, he really believed, uh, until the day he died at yeah. 94, that television was our rocket ship around the world and, yeah. and all kinds of different experiences. And if yeah. you wanted to watch... The opening of the Bolshoi Ballet. Yeah, 
that should that's your right yeah. as an earthling yeah and um so he believed it as a great liberator and, totally and, a, and the the thing that would bring us all together bring us all up together uh-huh uh-huh yeah. it kind of did right yeah until it kind of didn't i guess <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what you think of some of the shows but um no he and and you know that's why um it's so funny you have a podcast but in yeah. the old days we'd say that you had a radio show and sure you know that used to be the you know the heart of america were all What's, these amazing yeah. radio shows so and they were live they were live and um and he did now he was so what he came up through the ranks as a producer and then he got a, he worked for which for NBC or which one did he I'm work not sure for? he came up through the ranks yeah. he kind of hopscotched around he had such a clear vision and uh-huh. I think he he um because television was just being developed he got in uh NBC when they were just starting out and he you know, he created the Today Show because he said people need to wake up, find out what's happened in the last he 12 hours. That. And he created the Today it's Show. It's still on, isn't it? It sure is. <laughs> created the Tonight Show. Come he on. He produced Show of Shows. Really? He created the magazine format. He was the first person to put ballet and opera on television. You know, had Milton Berle come out and introduced a Margot Fontaine, and she did a big... Uh, bit of that Sleeping is, Beauty. That's amazing history. Yeah. Did I, you go over there? You, did you spend a childhood at the NBC building? I did go over there. J. Fred Muggs kind of mugged me. Yeah. He, he took my hat and uh, and I never got it back. I uh-huh. think it was in shreds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I must say, I think it. I think it certainly influenced me, because I knew that whatever it was my father did, which I don't think I understood. Um, made him very happy oh, he yeah. loved what he did he yeah. came home smiling no matter what well, if you're what around, huge crises there sure. were you're hanging you around know? Sid Caesar and Milton Berle well, exactly. and that, that whole crew you, yeah. you're gonna kind of be chipper amazing people so I, I think that that's probably why even though I was really shy etc yeah. I, I sort of gravitated toward the business because I thought the greatest people are in it and they seem to have so much fun. Wasn't and your uncle in it too? He was in it, Uncle Doodle, um, Doodle's <laughs> Weaver. He had his own Doodle's his own Weaver. show. Yeah. Um, oh, he's like a, a huge comic actor yeah. forever. Yeah. Right. And he also, you know, he he was a one man band. Literally, he played all the instruments at once, and uh, he was with Spike Jones band forever. Oh my and, god. Uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, there's a lot of. Strange show business in my in my family. I'm proud Doodles to say. Doodles Weaver. Yep. Did did you was do you remember him being entertaining when you were a kid? Yes, yes. But I also kind of remember the feeling that he was on, Always. which my father used to talk about. <laughs> uh, and my father used to be a little fascinated by it because he was surrounded by people who were on. Right. And um and my uncle was usually on when we were with him. So I never had a peaceful moment with Doodle. You know, like we never had a quiet philosophical talk uh-huh. because he was always, you know, doing things yeah, that, you yeah, know, yeah. that he could then talk about, sure. you know, doing crazy things. Yeah, but you were able to talk to your dad, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no, dad and I were very very close and um What about your mom? My mother had been a very successful actress in England. Oh wow. And um and once the war broke out, I think various things happened. Uh she ended up giving up her career mm. more because his career you know was so all involving and um 
And I think that was a decision she regretted. Yeah. You know, also to, to as she g- grew older, you know, yeah. women's lib, you know, sort of seemed to bring all these opportunities out. And I think she felt, you know, that she had missed that, these opportunities. And she, she would have, whatever my mother took on she yeah. she she would have been amazing in so i think she felt it was a bit of a waste for her to be um a mom and wife although you know she adored my father so but you know do you think she was bitter probably yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> uh she didn't sit around and mutter about it but right. um but i i you know she they had an amazing life yeah. uh but i think that um I think she would have loved to do more work, and I think she was quite astonished that her daughter, who was, you know, kind of a dweeb, um, uh, you know, shy and awkward and clumsy and everything else, managed to somehow, you know, become a butterfly in this business and survive. How did that start? I mean, how did you start? I mean, because, I mean, it looks like you did a lot of theater. I mean, you definitely didn't cut any corners. I know. I mean, I always really loved theater. I um, always did what I would call sort of illegitimate theater. Uh So I was never part of the Stanford Theater Department, which did very boring old productions. And so we had our own company. We toured the Bay Area in a covered wagon. So it was like a a kind of a a, a hippie time thing. Yeah. Yeah. Except, you know, I think we were pretty good. We did, you know, we did King Lear. We did Hamlet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wherever we could set up. What was it called? It was called King Lear. Oh, it was called The Company. Oh, okay. And we did new plays. And this was in San Francisco? This was uh, in Palo Alto. Okay. And, um... And so when it came time to graduate, I thought, oh, geez, ugh, yeah. I don't want to go down and get some nerdy job through my father on a television <laughs> station. Um, what can I do that I really love? Yeah. And I ran around and auditioned for drama schools and I, I got in. So th- I, I took that step. Where to? Where'd you go? I ended up going to Yale, which... Um, That's a good one. It is a good one. Wasn't Klein there too? No, he wasn't. <laughs> I can't wait to tell him you said that. Um, <laughs> he went to Juilliard, and he's very Juilliard proud. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I always uh, th- think that um, Yale was better because we had our own playwriting department. Oh, okay. You know, the yeah, Juilliard yeah. was doing the classics. Yeah. And we had our own mad playwrights like Chris Durang and Wendy Wasserstein yeah, yeah. and. Funny Alfred stuff. Inarado, yeah, yeah. And we did the Yale Cabaret, and we were out of our minds. And um, so they gave you a little more uh, freedom, and yeah, you could, and it work on, and you could work on new playwrights' works. Yes, and I loved that more than anything. And in the end, I ended up coming to New York and just doing off off Broadway, doing a lot of the work uh, from these guys, and just um, uh, like Durang. Ne- yeah, never got paid, but somehow managed to eke out a living in New York and um it must be it's such a like it's such a different time you know everything seemed more you know in terms of my perception of it more vital and more like like you were actually there seemed to be a, a kind of uh, in a, a creative inventiveness that was going on at all levels in the 70s yeah well yeah I mean I I do think New York still has all of that it's just that money's kind of ruined it because yeah sure. you know to have an off-off Broadway theater um 
takes, you know, the fundraisers and the board and all these things that, you know, in the old days, you didn't need that. Well, th- well that's what I think is happening. It's like, it's like rock music. It, it's like you were at the source. So what happens is generations want to recapture that. And, and eventually it becomes either a, a, a mimicking or it becomes something that gets uh, that sold out a bit. But, but in the 70s, it was actually, this is new. Yeah. Right? You're Absolutely. setting the standard. Well, I'm not sure we were setting the standard, but we sure as hell had a great time and I think put on a great show. Uh, I was always very proud of the work we did in, in um, Off-Broadway. I think it's super important. Like what? Uh, like when you got out of Yale, so you, fit, you did the whole program? I did. I'm not sure I should have, but I did. Why? Well, they weren't very enthusiastic about my work. No. <laughs> no, they were like, they actually said you should leave the school. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They what was did. the criticism? What, how, how did, because like Juilliard was terrible with that. Yes, they would throw yes, people I know. right out. They would say, look left, look right. You're None out. None of you won't be here. Yeah, right. Yeah, they, I, I had a class of 18, and at the end of the first year, um, two left and eight were asked to leave. Really? And the rest of us were put on probation. Who knows? Who was in your class? Anyone we know? Um, Kate McGregor Stewart. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's had a wonderful career. Um, uh, I, I'm, it doesn't surprise me that uh, that you know my class is still working somewhat sure. under wraps. Yeah. Um, but I would say any of us who who've kept at it, um, it's if you can do it. It's it's. I'm amazed to see some of my colleagues. They're still working in the theater yeah, in New of York. Course. Yeah. And doing the most incredible work, like Reed Bernie and people like that, oh, who yeah. I came up with, yeah, Christine I mean, it, Nielsen. If, if you're cut out for it, and it's a life you want, and you folk, you know, and you, <clears throat> I think with any of these things, like comedy, or which is what I do, or acting, it gets to a point where you're there is no real plan B. I mean, yeah. what are you going to do? You know, teach? Are you going to? Yeah. <laughs> what are you, you going to do? Yeah. But I mean, I think some people can't hack it, and they get into production on some level, or or writing, or there's a lot of actors that do other things. Yeah, directing. Uh, I thought, well, you know, they're probably right. Yeah. I probably don't have a future, but <laughs> no. you know, I can run a theater, and my friends can work there. I I thought sure. I'll get the degree. Yeah. I mean, I I I actually think it was one of the. Looking back, it was actually a kind of gift because I came to New York with absolutely no expectations. Um, really, I'd already heard the worst. Oh right. Uh, from and but those teachers were fired uh, when I left. But <laughs> you know, they because were? apparently they didn't like actors. Maybe don't hire faculty who don't like actors because they're failed actors. I don't know. I don't know what they were. But one they really was a got... voice teacher and one was a a director. And they really got fired. Oh yeah! Wow, that's uh, well, that's sort of justice in a way, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when you did get down there to New York, so you just got into off Broadway, but then you you did big plays though eventually, right? I'm not sure I did big plays. Don't, you were in the original cast of Hurley Burley, but that well, was yes, years later. That was yeah. So that was much later. Yeah, but um, like, so you were just kicking around doing uh, young playwright stuff, and oh yeah, I mean that kept me busy for a long time. I worked at the Public too, and uh, you know we worked in a lot of places where you know the show would run about three weeks, and then the building would be condemned. <laughs> You know, yeah, 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 right. or the the audience would be afraid to come down to that neighborhood in Hell's Kitchen or whatever. Right. We certainly didn't have bathrooms. We usually didn't have heat. What'd your old man think of this? Of you doing it? <sighs> That's a good question. I think that he thought how great that Sig went to drama school. Right. 
that's something. Yeah. Uh, I remember, I think he said Doodles wouldn't have had the patience for that. Uh-huh. So I think he liked that. <laughs> I think that he, I I don't think my, I think my parents, because they were in the business yes. and knew that it could eat you alive. Sure. I think they probably thought I would make a meal for the business yeah. one of those days, but that I had to get it out of my system or something. I don't know. I, I certainly think there were, never two more surprised people than my parents who every year I'd come in and I'd have another successful movie and right. I think they were just shaking their heads in <laughs> shock and dismay. And uh, But proud, I imagine. I think they were proud, but I yeah. think it was mostly shock. <laughs> Because they know what a what a you know hard and sometimes rotten business it can be. But wait, but like, were it was it that surprising? Were you that much of a, a, a sort of like quiet kid, a nerdy kid? I wasn't like, quiet. Yeah, I wasn't quiet. But I was I was this tall when I was eleven. Okay. So I was very uh, and I was very insecure. Uh, so it did you know it took me a long time to grow into myself. Yeah. And I think. Um, that that whatever success I had in the business, which came quite late, you know, I did Alien when I was 28. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I, it took me a long time. I mean, I felt like I was still in the oven for a long time. Sure. Finally, I remember one birthday, I went, you know, I think I'm done. I'll take myself out of the oven now. <laughs> I'm full. And just, I'm, I'll be toast. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, didn't, like, didn't, did your, did your dad, did, did you do little TV bits here and there? Did he still have the... The power to help you out in that I way? I did not want his help, Okay, Mark. all right. Just for a little walk no, on. Nothing. I actually was offered a very good role in television when I was still at the public playing a playing a, a, a maid who yeah. cleaned the glacier in a John Guare uh, play. John Guare, I know that uh, guy, yeah. Marco Polo sings a solo. Yeah. It was probably my first paying job, and I was offered a very nice big role on a uh-huh. TV series that was very high profile. And I turned it down really? because I thought, I really don't want to do the same thing. Over In case like, it's a hit, which right. it looked like it would be, right. I don't want to do the same thing for five years. I'll go nuts. Right. I'd much rather be the maid cleaning this great glacier with Joel Gray and and uh, you know and, and Madeline Kahn. Yeah. I, I, I really was, maybe because I hadn't, had as many opportunities coming up as you know training yeah i wanted to eat all the theater i could i was just ravenous and i certainly didn't want to have a job that had too much sameness Uh and i thought i'm young you know i i I don't need that kind of security i'm going to continue in my odd world doing my odd thing right and And it um, paid off well I mean, all you can do is follow your heart at the time. Oh, my God. I, I was so confused. I didn't know what my heart was. I just knew what, what I didn't want to do. Well, that's that's what it was. I knew I didn't want to go <laughs> yeah. to L.A. and sure. have the security of a show that would continue year after year. Well, you had that's foresight to know what the job is, and I think that probably comes somewhat from your upbringing. I think so, too. You, you know, because a, a lot of people who, who don't have any understanding of the business would be like they take anything oh absolutely and if i'd had parents who didn't know the business i might have felt i have to take this job right so they stop worrying about me and they see that i'm i'm decent enough actor so i can get work but my parents weren't like that and right. um and so i was able you know with their support uh for a while to to um you know, continue following my heart. Yeah, I mean, because you would definitely have been familiar with the repetition of television. You, you know, I yeah. mean, well, I, I mean, you see a whole career, and I imagine even your uncle on some level 
represented a thing that stayed the same for decades. Yes, I guess that's true. Yeah. Although I bet he had lots of different colors in sure, there. Sure, yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but he's a comic actor, and yeah. I mean, he did. But yes, he's in the birds. Yeah, we watch it once a year. We go, there he is. There's Uncle Doodle. He's so good, <laughs> driving that that boat. <laughs> well, I mean, so what was the first movie? Well, the first movie was Annie Hall. Uh, I was in a show with Chris Durang that he'd written. I, I had written a curtain raiser with him called Das Lusitania Songspiel yeah. that made fun of everything on Broadway and used all of, um, um, you know, claimed claimed uh, that uh, Kurt Weil and um, Bertolt Brecht had done... Uh, all the current songs. Oh, and, um, okay. So it's a, a comedy. It was, it was a, a comedy. It was satire. a cabaret. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I was offered a nice role in Annie Hall, a much bigger role, and I, I turned that down because I could not. <laughs> I was playing a multiple schizophrenic in uh, Chris's play Titanic. I yeah. played this little girl in a sailor suit who had a hedgehog under vagina and he she fed it at the table <laughs> then i morphed into this uh woman helena who was a uh, multiple schizophrenic yeah. and then i m morphed again anyway uh i i was irreplaceable at this point because i had so many uh so many different personalities sure. in the show yeah and um and so i thought well you know if woody Alan would offer me a nice role, you know, now maybe he'll offer me a nice role again someday. So you, you turned down a bigger role to take which role, which I'm trying to remember. I, I, I ended up getting a walk on at the end of Annie Hall. I'm with Walter Bernstein and he's with Diane Keaton at the very end. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, that's right. Right, the right, theater, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Sorrow and the Pity. So that was my little consolation prize right. from Woody Allen and, um, uh, so so that so that was another like you chose theater. I you chose didn't, you didn't want to theater. let your friend down. Really. Uh, yeah, and I I think I would have let myself down too because I had, as I said I'd co-authored it. Yeah, and we had such an uh, amazing time. Well, that's like those are like you know I mean I, it sort of makes sense in in looking at the roles that you did choose and and what you're known for that you would have this fortitude to just say no. You, you know what I mean to honor yourself and to honor your friends and your responsibility to things. That's that's making me sound very honorable, but I think I just had to follow my my nose yeah. where I where I found value and um and I I think I also loved what I was doing. I didn't really want to go into another uh, dimension, which was like Woody Allen. That's a serious like that's a film. That's yeah. different from what I do. Um, I wanted to stay in my little. Do you My think any little, of it was fear? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it was fear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't even think about a film career. Um, except with great skepticism, because to me, I think my father was in TV. I thought film must be even crazier. Yeah. Um, and more so, unpredictable. So what shifted to for you? How did Alien come to Well, be? and then I think I had... Because it was pretty soon after that. Yeah. I... Um, I had gone out, I think, the next year maybe, uh -huh. and met some casting people. In L.A.? I finally had gotten an agent, okay. uh, which took me years, because people would go, oh, she's really good in that. She's so tall. And right. I couldn't figure out what to do with her. Really, the tall thing was really a problem. Oh, yeah, because I was like almost six feet, and they were yeah. like, oh, you know, she can never yeah. play anything, and all the, really. And all the men are like five feet. Yeah, and they sit down <laughs> as soon as you come in the room. So... Um, <laughs> 
anyway, I went out and met some good casting yeah. people. Yeah. And then I think when Ridley Scott was sent to New York to interview actors for for uh, this movie, yeah. um, I was on the short list uh-huh. for for reasons I don't know, and um, I wasn't very interested. Yeah. You know, science fiction, which I knew very. Was little it always about. written as a woman's part? Actually, the original script. Yeah. Um, it was ten men, mm-hmm. and um, and Walter Hill and David Guiler. Uh, who ended up writing the script thought, well, listen, it's 10 little Indians. Uh, yeah. We'll just make the girl the survivor because no one in their wildest dreams will think it's going to end up being the girl. Right. They they thought it's going to end up being John Hurt's character who's so brave, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so um, they really did it just for story reasons, huh. you know, even though they, they love strong women. Um, and there was one other woman too, right? And the uh, on yes, the crew, Lambert, yeah. and that she was that was a very funny part, actually, is originally written. Um, and you know, it was a very small cast, and um, I, I don't think Fox wanted me. You know, I was really? unknown. Yeah, I think there were people with names trying to get this part. Yeah, um, I just got really lucky that the producers and Ridley. You know, I met Ridley. Uh, I was wearing these huge hooker boots that made me too tall to even be in this room <laughs> with you, Mark. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, <laughs> I I don't know what kind of thing I looked like when I walked in. But anyway, we had a great talk about the script that I was pretty critical of. I said, oh, it's pretty bleak. I don't know about this love scene. Would you, re- you know, would you really get it on while this thing was running? Anyway, we had a good talk. Why <laughs> <laughs> this monster's and, eating people. I know. Um and I ended up um, doing a screen test with Ridley in um, in London and got the part. I mean, I was so incredibly lucky. And then once I got the part, I thought, well, now, now I better do a good job. You know, I thought, here I am. I'm going to be in this new medium. I remember thinking, oh, don't worry about it. Just pretend you're doing off-Broadway. Right. Did you think that? Yeah. I did that all the time because I thought, it's look, it's not a really legitimate movie. Oh. It's like a little dark movie over here. <laughs> so I'm still in my world. Oh, right, right. So okay. I get to still play in this playground. And I guess nobody was, I mean, Ridley was not a huge director yet, right? His second movie. Yeah, so like, I guess there was no reason to think that it wasn't just a little dark, weird movie. Yeah, huh. and what's wrong with a little dark, weird yeah. movie? And what a cast, though. I mean, to work with Harry Dean and, uh, and Yafet so Koto and all those people are yeah. great. Absolutely. Ian Holm? Jeez. Yeah. Oh, I know. So, but it seems to me that whatever anyone was judging your craft or how everyone was looking at your acting, that you you sort of dug in and were very uh, emotionally available and, and, you know, interesting and vulnerable in that part as Ripley. I mean, it was a fully deep performance. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah, I, I remember thinking, I'm not going to be able to play Henry V, hmm. but this is my breeches part. So I can imbue this character yeah. with anything you might see in any leader anywhere. Uh, and I I had a very interesting discussion with Ian Holm, actually, because I remember he became my good friend, yeah. which I needed then because I was very lonely. I was over in England by myself. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, huh, do you think that Ripley knows what she's doing? Do you think that she thinks she's right 
all these times? And he said, yes, I think she does know she's right. And I said, I don't think she does. I think it's a total crapshoot and she knows it. And she's just got to fly by the seat of her pants, hoping. Confidently. Hoping. No, not no? with confidence, yeah. because I think that that's the story. It's a, it's a kind of everyman story. It's yeah. about someone who's, you know, who thinks that the trip is going to go this way, and she has a sort of manual of how things should go. You know, she's a young yeah. ensign, and she has to give up all of that order and and. Um, and, deal, and, yeah, and deal, yeah. and uh, and uh, it's uh, to me, it's everyone's story. Yeah, and and especially for a woman because she is, she's not going to whimper in a corner and 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 say I need help because she's got to do it herself. Which I think is what, that's why I am an actor. I think I think that's what women do. Yeah, we we do the tough stuff all the time, and I I love telling that story. Well, I and and also, I mean, I guess you could. I mean, it seems that the way you engaged with it was, was, was you know, uh, contextualizing it as an every person's story, but it was a women's story, and you know, you know, the weight of that. But I guess you couldn't have had any idea the impact it would have on show business, on women, yeah. on women in show business. I'm still amazed by it. I mean, it was like a, a pivotal and, and game-changing movie yeah. that, uh, that a, a woman could carry a movie like that. And I, you know, I I think of Ridley Scott and how innovative his camera work was. He and Derek Van Lint, who is our DP, they just huddled together every every minute, you know, coming up with how to hold the camera and all these things that no one had ever tried before. Yeah. So it was an experience going to the theater. And that, that monster. I mean, that, that monster. Mo- and that was all Ridley, too. You know, yeah. he found this he found amazing Geiger. art student. Is that he found Geiger. Yeah. And... Uh, um, and so we were using Giger's designs. Yeah. Uh, and he found an art student at a local pub who was seven feet tall uh, from Africa. He put him in the suit. Yeah. So uh, the the wow. man was so gorgeous. He already looked like he was from a different planet. Wow. And then he put on yeah. the suit. Yeah. So I think a lot of it has to do with how good the script was. Yeah. How wonderful the cast was that Ridley assembled. And the camera work, the sound, all of those things... Scare the shit out of people, and yeah. people have enjoyed that ever since. Well, that, I can't. I didn't realize that he had found um, Giger. That like that yeah. was like I, Giger wasn't established at that point. No, I don't think so. Because people became he became sort of a thing. Yeah, Giger totally. Art. Yeah, and then that that monster comes back for all the movies, like in some version, right? Yeah. So now, like looking at that, looking at at, at Ripley, do you find that that character evolves? Oh, completely, completely. Yeah, for you too, in age, and and then it's sort of, well, oh, obviously yeah. you're like I know what's up, you know, with Paul Reiser, yeah, that, like his weird uh, villain turn. Oh yeah, that was great. That was great. With you, and I think that that again, Jim Cameron, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was Different his director. idea to right. to write the story based on Ripley's coming back into the world and yeah. trying to warn people. So he gave R- the Ripley character in Aliens the most incredible arc, you know, from yeah. this sort of anti-hero kind of thing and um and so i think that really solidified the uh the kind of reputation of what this movie was and um how was the transition from uh, uh from ridley scott to cameron how did that i can't remember i know i was told i think walter hill must have told me something but how did that happen um i think that uh walter and david were talking to jim cameron about 
something else. Yeah. I think Jim had just done like Piranha 2. Um, (laughs) And I think he had the Terminator, you know, bubbling away. Yeah. But I think they kind of, you know, in those days, no one did a sequel. Right. Oh, really? Is that true? Yeah. No, Uh it was considered very, uh, you know, like not cool. Right. But I think somehow... Jim mentioned that he'd love to write a sequel for Alien. Yeah. And they thought, hey, why not give that a try? Right. I don't think anyone expected it to be this tour de force. It's great. It's a great movie. It really one. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, by that time, it was, I don't know, several years yeah. later, uh, I've been really lucky to work with so many different well, yeah, you really did strong that. directors the uh, year of living dangerously was it that was a great yeah. movie i remember seeing that movie yeah peter weir yeah. i learned so much from him like what well like um i think that he he said <laughs> the first day he's he said gosh i didn't realize how how inexperienced you were <laughs> Yeah. I said, yeah, I guess that's true. I think I'd made two movies. Yeah. He said, you know, so you just, you know, just when you're talking to Mel Gibson, just talk, just talk to him. Just be Sigourney talking to Mel. You yeah. don't need to do anything else. And on some level, I, I got it. Well, I got a, it because a, I trust his eye. Right, but it's also that weird, tricky transition from theater in a way. Oh, completely. That yeah. you do too much or, Or just you know. to talk. Like, I can't not, like, if I'm on a stage of any kind as an, as an actor, I'm like, what's going on? You know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's like you're mic'd. We have a boom. You yeah, just, yeah, yeah. And you have to adjust. Or do you? I mean, that's the sure. great question is that if you have it inside of you, does it, does it change yeah. from theater to movies? And I, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Well, I, I, I would think just the tenor is all I, I think all I'm thinking of. Like in, in theater, you do have to project a bit. You have to project a bit. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but not on, a, not on a set. No. Yeah. So, well, Weird <clears throat> was great. And then Freakin', you did that weird Freakin' movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that. I talked to him. He's a, he's an intense character. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I, well, moving into like you did many movies with uh, with Cameron, like these relationships with Scott and Cameron like, were career long, mm-hmm. and then Ivan Reitman as well. Yeah. And that was really Dear the and, and that like you you can do comedy. You that's, like to actually that's what the school ended up saying. Said you know you're great at comedy. Don't that's do what anything Yale said? else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's really what I am good at. I, I, I've you gotten think, away with the other stuff. Really? You think but, that's true? Oh, without a question. Huh. And Ghostbusters was a blast, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and these are like these are movies that made people's childhoods. You know, between aliens and Ghostbusters, like oh, you know, you must have people coming up to you all ages just saying like, Oh my god. Well, it is fun. I never quite know which movie they're going to mention. You oh, know? right, right, right. And Working Girl was a huge movie, too. It was a huge movie. And and Girl is in the Mist. Oh, yeah. my God. An amazing adventure. Yeah? I mean, that's why, as you know, as you know you're an actor. The business is so incredible because you get to learn all these different things, go to all these places. If you're willing to go for six months and yeah. do a thing. Oh, yeah. You got to. How many willing. real gorillas did you work with? I worked with uh, Diane's study group five, yeah. so there were about 25 gorillas in that group. And um, I went up every day or every other day with Simon Trevor, the great wildlife photographer, and one other guy who pulled focus. And we just spent the entire time with them. 
yeah. and try to keep our heads down and uh, be very respectful. Uh-huh. Um, and we had a, a lot of great surprises yeah. and um, got some really good footage. Yeah. So what if, what is how many Avatar movies did you just shoot? Nine. So <laughs> we have shot. Uh, we had made one a long time ago. Yeah. That's being re-released, right. remastered right. this month. Oh, I so think. they're going to re-release the first one. Yeah, they're re-releasing it sometime okay. this month. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Avatar Two is opening December sixteenth, um, and uh, then we've already shot three uh that will come out two years later did you shoot them down in long beach we yeah well we shot them um we shot the performance capture in manhattan beach in manhattan oh that's where his his yeah his kingdom is yes (laughs) because i went down there i i he had me i met with him oh yeah to audition for the part that the the flight of the concords guy got oh yeah, yeah 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 Uh, but I had no idea I was really going to do an audition that. Well, day. there are more. There's four and five. Get ready. <laughs> I, I think I'm out of the. Uh, I'm out of the. Uh, the, the, the. I the wouldn't be too sure. <laughs> but I mean, it was interesting meeting him. Yeah. You know, to sit there with him, and he was very nice. But uh, but like, what did you have to learn how to do? What did you like? How how, how much time for Avatar? You... Yeah. Well, Avatar, we learned how to free dive. So we were trained for. We learned everything. Free dive. That means with no tanks. Yeah. So we had to do, I play a kid in Avatar 2, because my character died yeah. in Avatar 1. Right. So the kids, we, we did a lot of parkour. We did all these things to, to try to uh, figure out how we are going to move through the forest yeah. like uh, Navi children. And yeah, yeah. Um, so we did a lot of physical training. And then because a good bit like 70% of the movie is underwater or in water. Yeah. Um, We were taught by Kurt Crack, who teaches the Navy SEALs how to free dive. He taught all of us for over a year how to breathe up and how to to free dive. So by the time we were actually shooting in the tank underwater and we had long scenes underwater, we had the training to pull that off. How long can can you be underwater? Well... I can do a static breath hold. The 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 most I ever did was six and a half minutes. Come on! I know it's ridiculous. I can't believe it either. But I'm not lying. That's crazy. I know. I had the training, and I was using enhanced oxygen. What does that mean? So, in other words, we're breathing thirty percent oxygen. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes doing the show, we would have 50% oxygen and sometimes we would have 80% oxygen. Yeah. So I don't know what I was breathing that day. I'm sure it was at least 50. Yeah. But we, a static breath hold, you're not moving and you just, you just have to keep your mind from making you panic and make you breathe because it's a, it's a reflex and you can talk yourself out of it for a while. I'm starting to have a hard time breathing now. <laughs> I know. I can't believe I did it for that long. And my husband, who was taking the training with me, being from Hawaii, you know, yeah. he loved all this stuff. Um, he had the same breath hold. Six oh, you and just half brought minutes. him in because he wanted to learn? Well, <laughs> I, I think that they they knew I'd be more secure with okay. him because okay. he's such a, you know, he's such a water guy. Yeah. Uh, and I would have to say that all of us facing this and knowing what Jim would want us to do yeah. it was intimidating so you wanted to uh, train up in a 
a situation where you felt as relaxed as possible. And being in the water with Jim is a very relaxing experience because he's Your so husband. knowledgeable. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But Cameron is, you know, intimidating. Cameron is, is n- intimidating is the wrong word. Yeah. You don't want to say, no, boss, yeah. I don't think I want anything. You're not going to say anything like that to Jim Cameron. He will tease you so mercilessly until you say, I, I forget it, forget <laughs> it. I'm going to do it. Just show me show me where to go and what to do. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of, you know, you know, once he sort of, you know, tagged you to come along and be in his band of yeah. merry pranksters, you yeah. you kind of feel like you're, you know, you're in for it. Whatever right. it is, you're yeah. ready, you're going to make it work. And um, I have to say, we watched 13 minutes of it at D23 this yeah. past weekend, Yeah, the Disney uh-huh. whatever, and the stuff underwater was so crazy good that my standing there watching it with the audience, I think my feet started to move as if I needed to tread water because we were underwater for so long. It looked that real. And it's one of the most breathtakingly beautiful things you'll ever see. Really? Yeah. It's totally cool. So it's going to pay off. Yeah, and now I know how to free dive. Not that I uh, do it all the well, time. Well, you go to Hawaii, you could do it. I'm much more confident in the ocean in Hawaii than I used to be. So after all this, t- all these movies and everything else, I mean, are there like, do you, like, you you talk a little bit about we're, you know, kind of like being on to you and, and showing you something. Did mm-hmm. you find that throughout that, throughout your career, uh, that you were able to pick up stuff from all these directors? You know, what I found was that the directors are hoping you know what you're doing. That's right. I, that's what Walter Hill said, because yeah. I always thought, because the idea that a director directs is not about t- teaching an actor how to do anything. No. They you, want you to. They cast you because they think you've got it in you, yeah. and then it's up to you to just come through. Right. Walter's still a very good friend of mine. And, mm-hmm. um, so I think he's so eloquent about yeah. the business and yeah. everything else. Yeah, that's great. Um, but no, I think that, you know, Mike Nichols used to say casting is 90%. And I think that's that's really true. I think if anything, as a director, you become, as an actor, you become a bit director proof. Yeah. You're going to arrive. You're going to have done your work. Right. You're going to have, you know, whatever they call you, pack your suitcase filled with this and that. You right, know? right. And you're ready for anything. And I mean, to me, that's where the fun starts. That's where I finally started to get confidence was when I kind of gave up trying to figure it out. And I just fling myself out into the void and see what happens. Sure. And and you're there with other people. You're yeah. there with other, the other actors. Like Nichols, was, it, was, he, uh, was he special to work with? Incredibly that- special. He could come up with the one physical move or something that would explain your entire character oh yeah and um he just was brilliant at that and um you know because i had this relationship with bill hurt's character and hurley burley and bill's character would drone on and on and on about this and that and yeah finally and i i said to my geez i'm just sitting here kind of putting on makeup not really listening and he said just just put your finger down your throat and gag and so I did that, and yeah. the whole audience was feeling that, of course, too. We all wanted him to shut up, and um, and so he was always he was he was really he first of all he totally I didn't believed he directed he could that do he directed Hurley Burley on stage yeah wow yeah that's the first time I worked with with Mike and then he directed the movie he directed uh, Wor- Working, Working Girl, Girl. Yeah. yeah 
I didn't realize he did. Like, that's so funny, William Hurt droning on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what the play is, mostly. Um, well, that's, a, that's a, like, that's great memories. Are you going to, did you write a book yet? No. No, I, I. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you're not going to. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure I remember a lot of things, but oh, yeah. um, I, uh, the things I remember are very, to me, interesting, but um, uh, not necessarily. it's fun to talk about it sure. all. Sure, yeah. And uh, like, just I want to talk about Schrader for a second. Yeah. Because um, he's sort of a fascinating character to me. And, the, you know, there's the movies he's written and the movies he's directed, but it, it seems like the last... You know, several movies of his are very controlled and they're very specific. And he seems to, you know, deal with you know men, uh, you know, very specifically, kind of like you know, damaged or struggling or 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 morally dubious, you know, men. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also the women characters that he seems to be generating are, are, are pretty tough and strong uh, as well. Yeah, especially in the last well, the card the card counter too. Mm-hmm. So what's it like working with him with that with that language of his and him as a director? Yeah. And what brought you to that movie? Well, interestingly, we only finished that movie in March. Yeah. So for him to have edited it and show it at Venice, as we just did, was really, a, you know, an act of a Superman. Yeah. Um, so he, um, I met him about a year ago. He had this script, which I thought was impeccable you know i'm used to working with all kinds of scripts and there was something about this script that was it was so elegantly written it was so precise there was so much that wasn't said right there was no exposition there are no transitions Uh it's just this like vertically built you know this this thing with all these layers underneath that you can never get enough of yeah and the part for me the part of norma was like a kind of part I've avoided all my life because Why? I think they were often written in a very cliched way, the rich, haughty oh, the ma- woman right. or something. Okay, right. And um, but I thought, you know what? I think this is the one because I also thought I I've never been offered a part like this. She's so out there. Yeah. Um, and so I met him about a year ago, and he said, "I want to shoot it in February. We're going to shoot it in twenty days. We're going to shoot it without any money." Uh, Joel Edgerton is playing the part, and he was looking for, and uh, uh, ended up being Quintessa Swindell, who's as wonderful, Maya. as Maya. Yeah, and um, you know, in February in uh, Louisiana, there were not many flowers. Yeah. Uh, so I, <laughs> um, but it, it it is a wonderful story, uh, as you say. It's the the lonely man in the room, and um, him coming to terms with. Uh, his life a heinous past yeah a heinous past and and you being the sort of savior but also uh somewhat exploitive you Mm -hmm. know but but that dynamic i never seen anything like it really good 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 i'm so glad to hear it but like when you approach a role like that like you know let's just go over the last few years so like when you see uh the good house do you think like this is not going to be a heavy lift no, I never think that. You ever never think of it. Never think that. I you think don't judge oh my god, roles. I've never I've never done this before. I can't wait to do this. Oh, good. I loved Hildy so much and it was the best part I'd been offered in a long time. Yeah. And um and then uh, I'm just saying that in comparison yeah. to the the darkness of Well, the- you know, you can only uh, there were we did um 
we did Good House in 2019. That was wild. So yeah. you had COVID in between. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did, uh, I did um, uh, Call Jane. So this I just did. I mean, I feel like I just came Finished. home from that. Right, right. And, um, so every role is just sort of like you're kind of like, okay, uh, you, you, yeah. you're, you're nervous or you're excited. I'm terrified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, ugh, this is the one. <laughs> this is the one where the I'm going to fall what? flat on my face. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I also can't think of anything I love more than getting out there, than pushing off into the unknown and yeah. and letting the character out. Yeah. Um, oh, that's great and Norma was especially like... Um, you know, she was Pandora's box once she opened her mouth, you know? Yeah, and I just, and that, you know, the the turn at the end, you know, and then again, just sort of like uh, the relationship shifting. It, it's it's kind of an astounding thing. I've never seen anything like it. Have I'm you? so glad. Have you ever? No, I mean, I haven't. I mean, <laughs> I, I think Paul's amazing. I feel so fortunate to have been able to work with him and that he... Um, you know, I once made the mistake of saying, well, why'd you think of me for Norma? I don't know what I expected you yeah, to say. Yeah. Uh, but I remember that Pauline Kale had been a great champion of mine early on, and he knew her quite well. Yeah. He said, no, I wanted Glenn Close, but she wasn't available. <laughs> so, <laughs> lesson is never ask those questions. Oh, no, you got that in your head. How would Glenn do it? Oh, no, I never thought about that. You never that. think that? No, 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 because she didn't get to do it. Oh, that's good. That's better. You know, I got to do it. That's the fate rolled the dice and it's my oh, part and I never it. look back. Like, I don't do a lot of acting, but I did a part in a movie that's coming out soon. And the guy, they told me who they were kind of wanted it to be, and I'm like, oh my god, boy, how? Why didn't you just use that guy? Yeah, I'm not that guy. You that, know? I wonder why they said that to you because that's got, not very helpful. It, it wasn't. It it got a, around. It wasn't the director. Yeah, it's just something that came back around from who the fuck knows where. It's just there to screw you up. You yeah, but eventually, I think what you realize, and again, I'm not much of an actor, but you can only do what you do. Yeah. It, that's you know that's it. It's going to be your version exactly. of whatever it is, you know. So you've you're so you're just full steam ahead, huh? Full Keep steam doing, ahead. I'm yeah. in the time of my life, you yeah. know. Uh, you ever feel like doing theater again? Well, not lately. Mm. I have to say, I've been kind of working nonstop. Yeah, it seems like it. Um, yeah. And I have another couple of projects lined up, oh, and great. I'm working with people I really like. And so there's something about the form of film mm. that probably started with Peter Weir, because mm. that's when I, I got it. Yeah. I got that film had its own weird philosophy. Yeah. That you know, it was it was perfect that it was out of chronology. All these things that I've been resisting as a theater yeah. person, mm. it all kind of made sense in this bizarre way. Yeah. And I've so embraced that. Yeah. That now um, you know, I can't, it's kind of, you know, to me it's the more interesting medium. Sure. I, well, it's, you, you, know, you can look at it from a lot of different vantage points and you can understand the, the collaboration of it. It's totally different than Yeah, it's ever. so much about collaboration. Yeah. And the, the crew and the cast. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're almost all one. Yeah. It's, um, well, I imagine on Avatar, you're like practically living with these people. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> really true yeah. because it takes fo forever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like years. Well, it was great talking to you. Great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. My pleasure. There you go. Cultural icon, Sigourney Weaver. The Good House opens on Friday, and you can see her shortly in Call Jane, Master Gardener, and Avatar, The Way of Water. 
All right, hang out for one second, people. Hang out. Listen, we've got some movie stuff for the next two weeks of Full Marin bonus content. This week, we'll be talking about documentaries in advance of my episode with Abigail Disney this Thursday. And next week, we're going to do a full talk about one of my favorite movies, Michael Clayton. I'll explain more of that on Thursday as well. If you don't have a Full Marin subscription, click on the link in the show description or go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF Plus. You dig? This week, I'm in Toronto, Ontario at the Queen Elizabeth Theater on September 30th and October 1st. Next week, I'm in Livermore, California at the Bankhead Theater on October 6th and Carmel-by-the-Sea, California at the Sunset Center on October 7th. That's going to be an intimate group in a large room. What can I tell you, ma'am? Small market, Carmel, I don't know. Uh, I'm not, that people aren't coming out, but I'm going to do the fucking show. Not really my choice even. Uh, because like I don't, it's it's not a great feeling to play for a hundred people in a room for seven hundred, but so be it. It'll get me get me strong. And again, I want to mention I added uh, a show in London to my London England dates. I'll be doing a live WTF at the Bloomsbury Theater on Wednesday, October nineteenth. My guest will be comedian David Bedil. Then I've got stand-up shows at the Bloomsbury on Saturday and Sunday, October 22nd and 23rd. Those probably are close to selling out. Dublin, Ireland, I'm at Vickers Street on Wednesday, October 26th. Then in November and December, I'm in Oklahoma City, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Long Beach, California, Eugene, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, Asheville, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee. And finally, my HBO special taping is at Town Hall in New York City on Thursday, December 8th. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for all dates and ticket info. Okay? Anyway, here's some guitar.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda. Cat angels everywhere.